Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. If you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the Old Testament in the time that I have left, we want to talk about Beholding the King. It's our series title. Uh, The book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 9. Find that spot, mark that spot, and then turn forward a few chapters to the New Testament. So Zechariah chapter 9, and then find Matthew chapter 21. I'm glad you're here today joining us at Summit Church. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors. This is the Advent season. Looking forward to Christmas. If you're here in person, fantastic. If you're here joining us online, we are glad that you are joining. It's good to be together. A couple of weeks ago, we started our Christmas series, Behold the King. John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's the point, right? To, to see Jesus, to behold Him, to become like Him. We talked about that last week. Today from the Old Testament, I want you to read with me Zechariah chapter 9. Notice verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, or some of your texts say, behold, behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle of chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Now, jump forward with me to Matthew, his gospel, chapter 21. Notice verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. So I have... We're going to look at that scripture and you know, exegete it properly today, but there have been times I have used it out of context. There have been times where um, I was wanting someone on our staff to do something that I hadn't told them about, and so it was a new, a new thing. And so I would say something like this, um, hey, I have, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and... And I have need of thy donkey. So what that means when they hear that is, okay, Miller's got some crazy idea that uh, I haven't heard about yet, and I'm going to get drug into something, and we'll see how it goes. That's what that means, right? 
But when Jesus says it, and I'm not Jesus, when Jesus says it, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them. And He will immediately let you take them. Now, I just want to stop there long enough to say, you know that when I was reading in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet, he, he foretold this whole thing that's happening in Matthew 21. You realize there's just a few, you know, Zechariah, Malachi, um, and then there's Matthew. It's just a book, a few pages, whatever. But the time stamp in between there is hundreds of years. From the time of God speaking to the point where He spoke, there was a period of silence for over 400 years. And now this is sometime after that. So somewhere between 400 and 500 years, Zechariah is, is saying, there's going to be this Messiah. He's, Behold your King. He's going, to be, he's going to be coming into Jerusalem. He's going to be riding on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. And now here comes Jesus. Matthew just records it. Here comes Jesus riding into Bethlehem on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. That's just one of hundreds of places where the Old Testament has prophesied something, and Jesus Christ, the perfect fulfillment of what was said. You ought to pay attention to that. In a day when we can't get the weather right, you know, two days in advance. God bless their souls. They do great. But to get perfect um, prophecies and fulfillment more than 500 years later, you ought to stop and take note of that if it happens once. If it happens hundreds of times, you ought to back up and say, there is entirely too much evidence for me to ignore. I don't have the faith to believe that God isn't who He said He was. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, behold, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches. <clears throat> from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around Him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the One who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. Now watch this verse. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as He entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, <laughs> some of you are saying this morning, Dan, you've got your holidays mixed up. <laughs> because you just read a passage of Scripture that is commonly read at Easter. This is Christmas. But let me make the connection this morning. Verses 10 and 11 that we just read. He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, asking this question, who is this? 
And the crowds answered, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. If you're going to answer the question correctly, who is Jesus at Christmas? You need to know who Jesus is at Easter. What did he come to do? The basic question is, who is Jesus? The one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas? To truly know who he is, you have to understand the picture. You have to understand more. Look at the text. Matthew tells us the whole city is stirred up. The people are asking, who is it? Now, if you went back, if you, if you came back with me to, to Jerusalem, imagine being in Jerusalem that day. So, the, this phrase, the city was stirred up. Let me give you some perspective of what that means. So historians tell us that during the, the days of King David, uh, Jerusalem was a city of about 2,000 inhabitants. About 2,000 people said, listen, I'm a resident of, of, of Jerusalem. But during Jesus' day, and, and by the way, Jerusalem in David's day was about, uh, spanned a, a, a parcel of land equivalent to about 12 acres. In Jesus' day, it was a parcel Jerusalem had spread out. It was about a 425 acres, and there were more than 60,000 people that said, Jerusalem is my home. So it has grown from 12 acres and 2,000 to 425 acres, a sprawling metropolis and over 60,000 people. But this was no ordinary day in Jerusalem. This is Passover week. And so the fact that the whole city is stirred is also influenced by the fact that a census, um, and, and by a census, it was, had been ta was taken in, uh, by Nero of, 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 of the city, and he estimates, the, the estimates there were that the city on Passover, instead of 425 acres and 60,000 people, was more like 2.7 million people crowded into that small area. So, here is some comparison. Chicago is just over or just under 2.7 million people. Uh, the, the city of Chicago has shrunk uh, a, a few hundred thousand people. It was it was uh, just under 2.7. It's a little less than that now. 2.7 million people, and the city sprawling Chicago covers over 148,000 acres. Now imagine all the people of Chicago packed into 425 acres. If you do the math, you count for the buildings, there's not a lot of space. People were packed in there. People were everywhere. Imagine all those people stirred up and asking, who is this? Jesus? Now why were they there? They were there for Passover. Remember Passover? It was an annual celebration of God's miraculous deliverance of his people. They were in slavery in Egypt, and there was a miraculous deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Remember Moses, he goes to, to Pharaoh, and he's pleading with Pharaoh to, to let uh, his people go. And, and there's this battle back and forth, and so God brings nine horrible plagues upon the people of Egypt, one after the other. There was the first plague of, of blood. The water turned to blood, and then, and then there were frogs. Frogs everywhere. Gnats was the next one. Gnats everywhere. And then flies. You know, we have had a few flies around here that bother me. We don't have the flies like they had. I'm telling you, so, I mean, I swallowed a fly preaching here a few weeks ago. <laughs> I kept right on going, you didn't even know. 
we've had, we've had, some, but I'm telling you, there is, they had a plague of flies. I mean, flies are annoying. They're, they're awful. And then after that, um, the livestock got sick. And, and livestock, you know, had disease and died. And then, and then there were festering boils. That'll mess up your day. Hail. And then the locusts. The locusts all came. And after that, there was darkness. That was interesting. Where the Hebrews were, there was light, and they went about their business. But during the day when there was supposed to be light, where the Egyptians were, it was so black they couldn't see each other. They just had to sit around. Read your Bible. And yet Pharaoh would not, after nine plagues, Pharaoh would not let the Hebrews go. And then God said to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he, you go tell my people to get ready to go. And so the people began to prayer for the t- prepare for the tenth plague to get their belongings ready because they're about to be set free. And part of the preparation was that they prepare a specific meal. They were to take a meal uh, uh, um, and make a meal of a, of a young lamb, a perfect lamb. And in the instructions to prepare that meal, they were required that in, in, in preparing that, that meal for their family, that they were not to break a bone of that young lamb. And in addition to that, they were to take blood and they were to sprinkle it on the doorpost of the house. Now that's a mess. Now, they were heading out the next day, so they didn't, they didn't have to clean it up. But they were sprinkling blood on the doorposts, and God sent a death angel to Egypt. And every house that had blood sprinkled over the door, the people were saved. Those who didn't, the firstborn male, human being, and animal died that night. Now let me just stop Old Testament, second book of the Bible, Exodus, and go to New Testament, and where the Gospel writers record who Jesus Christ was, why He came at Christmas. (laughs) He came to live so that He could die and He would live again. He was the Lamb. He was the Lamb. Instead of a sacrifice for sin or sacrifice for atonement, Jesus Christ was a sacrifice. Now what's interesting, in this story, um, not not a bone of that Lamb was supposed to be broken. And Jesus Christ... It was prophesied not a bone of his body would be broken. Now when Jesus was crucified, he was hanging there with two common thieves. One of them came to his senses late, but it wasn't too late. And he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So let me stop long enough to say there's, that's good news. It might be late, but it's not too late. Who are you praying for that needs Jesus? You keep on praying. You keep on presenting the gospel. You keep on... There's, there's hope today you'll be with me in paradise. But in addition to that, these criminals would die. But when the Sabbath is coming, they wouldn't want these criminals hanging on the cross. And so in order to speed their dying, the Roman soldiers would come and break the legs of people being crucified so that they could no longer push themselves up and breathe. And a part of the, the agony of, of crucifixion was suffocation and no longer able to breathe, oftentimes they would expire sooner. And so the days were coming, the time was coming that, that these, these you know, criminals and the man in the middle, Jesus, w- would have to 
have to die before the next day. And the soldiers came to break the feet. And they came to Jesus. You remember what history records? That he was already dead. How do we know that? The, 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 it's recorded that the, the um, Roman soldier put a spear in his side and out flowed blood and water, signs of death. He was clearly dead. He had, he had said earlier, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And with that, he breathed his last. He was already dead. So guess what? They never broke a bone of his body, which, by the way, was also one of those other prophecies. There's too much stuff to ignore, my friends. Behold the king. And the Hebrews escaped slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh pulls one more stunt. He goes after the Hebrew slaves, and it looked like he might win when he had them fleeing and, and backed up against the Red Sea. And he pursues them with the Egyptian army. And remember that God parts the Red Sea into Israelites. The Hebrew children walk over on dry ground, and the Israelites follow in after, and they are entombed there. They died because of the Red Sea coming in over them. So to commemorate God's miraculous delivery, God tells His people to celebrate the Passover. That's what they were doing in Jerusalem. That's why they were there. It's part of the Jewish law. It's a happy occasion. The, the Jewish social event of the year. People wanted to go to Jerusalem because it was the, the destination of, of the Exodus. It was, it was the capital of the promised land. So every year, if there were Jews who, who for some reason couldn't make it back, they would always say, well, there's always next year. We're going to go next year. Jesus and his disciples are traveling on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The crowd is following them. Why? Because they were going to, pa they were going to celebrate Passover. But in addition to that, this Jesus had been growing in popularity. You see, wherever he went, there were amazing things that were happening. The blind began to see, the lame began to walk, the deaf began to hear, the dead. In fact, he was just coming off of his latest miracle where, in fact, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's famous because he teaches with authority and truth. People called him rabbi and teacher. He, tells, he teaches the disciples how to pray. He, he explains truth using parables and stories. He, he sits down with a crowd of people and teaches them and, and meets their spiritual needs but doesn't ignore their physical needs. So listen, these people are hungry. The disciples said, we got to send these people to town to get food. And right there, Jesus said, you feed them. And he said, with what? They found some little guy stole his lunch. A few loaves, a few fish. That was the first Jonah fish fry that every inner church ever had, right? And he, he prayed and blessed it, and they kept on passing out 5,000 men plus women and children. That's a lot of people. And they picked up 12 baskets after. He does more than heal people and teach people. He provides signs and wonders. He walks on water. He calms the raging sea. He commands the winds and waves to be still. And so, along with all these people headed to the Passover, there's people that are beginning to follow Jesus. And they're all gathering in Jerusalem. And the people, the streets are lined with people saying, Hosanna. They put on their, their coats on the, on the ground, and the, and the donkey walks over them, and, and they're waving palm fronds. They gave him a hero's welcome. Truth is, disciples aren't really sure who he is. The religious leaders are not really sure who he is. The crowd is unsure. And here is the only answer they give. Who is this? They're all in an uproar. Who is this? They asked. 
And the crowds replied, I don't know where this got started. I mean, it was common. It was, it was truthful. Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Oh, yeah. Nazareth in Galilee. Joseph's son, the carpenter, the one born in a manger. Who is Jesus? Let me just say, who is Jesus affects more than life on earth. The Bible teaches that the answer to this question determines our eternal destiny. Jesus says if we get this answer right, we get eternity right. So Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. He writes this gospel because he wants people to be able to answer this question. He knows Jesus. And this is what Matthew knows about Jesus. He reveals to us that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is the Messiah of Israel. And a Messiah will do two things. And I realize I'm, I'm not out of message, but I'm almost out of time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run quick. He's going to do two things. He's one, going to save his people. And he's going to, the second thing is he's going to serve his king. He's going to save the people and he's going to serve his king. Now, there have been numerous Messiah figures through the history, but only Jesus was the Son of God who, seek, who came to seek and to save the lost and provide a way of eternal life with his Father in heaven. So what does the word Messiah mean? So he's called Jesus Christ. Isn't this Jesus, the prophet, or Jesus the Christ? So listen, is Jesus his first name and Christ his last name? No. Jesus the Christ. Jesus, in, in the Old Testament, Messiah literally means the anointed one. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah is, is the name Christ. It is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one. So in John chapter 1, verse 41, Andrew, his disciple, um, uh, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, he, he, he became acquainted with, Je with Jesus. He said, oh, I, I met Jesus. And, and what does he do? Andrew, he runs almost immediately, he finds his brother Peter, and he says, listen, I, I need to tell you this, but, but I, have, I have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. I have found Christ. And, and he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Christ the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. They knew from the Old Testament that God was going to send a deliverer. Many people overlooked who Jesus was. But what is interesting too for the Apostle John is he closed his gospel. He summarized this message he'd been trying to get across he wrote this, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, the one who has come to save. So the Messiah offers forgiveness for sins. He promises salvation and a place in his coming kingdom. Come to me, he urges. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus fulfills all the prophecy of the Messiah. Born in Bethlehem, in the lineage of King David, people are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, recognizing Jesus as a descendant of David. Who is Jesus? He's a king. He's a king. He came riding humbly into the city, riding a donkey to fulfill Scripture, to fulfill prophecy. Kings like to display military might. And that day, a king would gallop into town with his army. But not Jesus. He comes into Jerusalem 
like he came to the world humble. A humble king who came to earth as a humble baby, a manger, not a castle. He came to serve. Matthew 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I love the passage in Philippians. It's referred to as the kenosis passage. It literally means the emptying passage that God... Who, 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 thought he, who was equal to God, equality with God, was not something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He became like a man. He became a human being, obedient to the point of death. In human form, humbled himself, became a de- obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and then God highly exalted. He was a king. He was a king. He is a king. The thing about a king... As a king, notice it also says that he is blessed. (laughs) Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A king who is blessed to be blessed means something pretty important here. So do you know that he he was blessed and he, he came to bless others? Do you know that you have been blessed to bless others? In fact, I go I go even a little farther. I believe our nation has been blessed. To bless others, um, you begin to read about some of those places in in, in Psalms that, where it talks about God blesses people so they can be a blessing. But so blessed is he who comes in the Lord. What this King that came to rule and to reign, he came to bring peace with God. What a blessing! To know, to have peace with God. You know that peace of God that passes understanding. There's a peace of God, and um, there have been some. Some beautiful families in our church that have had to say goodbye to loved ones this week. You know, the the hard part of death in this life is we realize that the person who has died will never come back to us. And that hurts beyond measure. But here is the blessing of peace. We have, what a gift to know that a loved one is in heaven. Because even though They can't come back to us. We can go where they are. My friends, there is peace in that. Now, sometimes in a world that is warring, we also need peace. We don't just, peace isn't just something that passes understanding in the days to come, but he is the king of peace. Notice, he is a king of protection from our enemies. Notice that he is a king who provides what we need, our earthly needs. He talks about sparrows. Don't you know that the, the, you know, if, if God, his eye is on the sparrow, then not a sparrow can fall to the ground without God knowing it. And he knows the number of hair on your head, how much God cares for you. He is his provision for earthly needs. There's the promise of a saving relationship with him. There's a promise. There's a place the king who provides a place for eternity in heaven. Jesus is a king. He also is a savior. The Messiah, king and savior. Um, people from all ages, I don't mean young and old, even though that's true as well. I'm talking about from, from the beginning of time, from through all the ages, have needed to be saved, and Jesus saves. Watch this. The outcry of the church has always been and always be, Jesus saves. Travis Cottrell in his modern hymn, Jesus Saves, says it this way, Freedom's calling, chains are falling, hope is, is, is dawning bright and true. Day is breaking, night is quaking, God is making all things new. Jesus saves. 
the old classic hymn. I grew up on this, singing this. We've heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land, climb the steeps across the waves. This, our onward tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Wafted on the rolling tide, tell the sinners far and wide, sing ye islands of the sea, echo back the ocean caves, earth shall keep her jubilee, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He talks about the battles in life. Sing above the battle strife by his death and endless life. Sing it softly through the gloom. When the heart for mercy craves, sing in triumph over the tomb. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let me just say to you this morning, over sin in our life, Jesus can save. Even over, over death that we experience in our life, Jesus saves. Through disappointment, Jesus can save. Through divorce, Jesus saves. Through setbacks, through, through um, physical issues, through whatever comes our way, Jesus saves. He's a king and he's a savior. I love the fact that he's a king. He can do something about it. I love it because he's a savior, because he can do something about it. I love this. In Luke chapter 2, the angels are announcing to the shepherds, so today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior. <laughs> he is Christ the Lord. Who is this? The crowds were wondering. They were in an uproar. You know, the world is in an uproar today. They need to know who Jesus is. Who is this? They asked. The crowd replied, it's Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is Jesus? <laughs> Who is this? This is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Savior and Lord. Behold your King. Behold your King. He is the King of glory. I want to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. It's an interesting... way to put these thoughts, words to song, simply tells the story of how that he was the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. The way you know that's true, right? Jesus Christ did not come into existence when he was born as a baby on a manger throne. In the beginning, he was the Word. He was eternally existent. You know what that means? Eternally existent past, eternally existent future. He always has been, always will be. You were the Word at the beginning, one with God, the Most High, your hidden glory in creation now revealed to us in Christ. What a beautiful name it is. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, our King and our Savior. Who is He? Who is He? He is King and Savior over all. So Heavenly Father, we bow our knees and our hearts before You today. Our will And all that we are, 
we owe to you. Who is this? It is Jesus Christ, Messiah, the King, soon coming King, already not yet, and our Savior, the one who loved us, came to earth to pay the price for our sin so that we could go free. And that joy we celebrate at Christmas in the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.